You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Good to see you this morning, and uh, welcome to our second day of our stewardship weekend. Looking forward to what God has for us today, and appreciate you being here this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our day, and then Brother Skelly will come. Uh, Nate serves uh, as a financial planner and also a financial pathway ministries, and we were able to begin to learn from him last night, so we're going to continue that today. He's from Pensacola, Florida, and so to him, this is like still a little cool maybe, but uh, this is normal for him. We're enjoying our warm weekend we have together, and uh, my allergies probably are about to kick back in in a minute, as many of yours are as well, but uh, good to see you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the joy it is to be uh, here again today. Thank you for your provision. Um, Lord, help us today to uh, realize that your provision is not just for our pleasure and our comfort and our convenience, but Lord, it is to be stewarded Lord, through the lens of not just this life with all of its priorities, but through the lens of eternity, I pray that you would convince us anew and afresh to manage what you've entrusted to us in limited time and with limited resources and opportunities to do so with a sense of urgency and unction and uh, help us practically today as we again study your word and its applications in our lives. Bless Brother Skelly as he teaches and preaches today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Brother Skelly. Okay. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I know many of you were here last night, and I'm glad you're here this morning. So this uh, session here in the 9 o'clock hour is going to be very practical. going to be a lot of hands-on sort of things that you can put into practice in your finances. And then, of course, in the morning service and in the evening service, we're going to be really focusing in on God's Word and looking at a couple passages and drawing out some principles. So I hope you uh, came ready to take some notes there in your handout. I've got uh, a lot of blanks for you to fill in, so I'd encourage you to follow along there. Like Pastor Snowd mentioned, if you weren't here last night, I'm coming to you from Pensacola, Florida, so I appreciate the warm weather. I appreciate you being so hospitable to give me not some cold Ohio March weather, but some nice warm spring weather. But... Um, my wife and I, Charity, we've been married for 10 years now, and we've got three kids, Jaden, Judah, and Juliet, six, four, and three. And um, so, in fact, I actually, I think I have a picture of them here in my slides this morning. So, um, actually, Dave, I forgot. Is, is there a picture there in the slides? Is that, oh, there they are. Okay. So, that's my family. That picture's actually a little bit dated. I think that was a couple of years ago. So, I got to get an updated picture uh, for you. But uh, we're there in Pensacola, Florida, and loving the warm Florida weather. Although, I have to say this, Pensacola, it's not real Florida. It's fake Florida. Because if you know where Pensacola is, it's all the way at the end of the panhandle. So it's like living in Alabama, but you're still technically in Florida. But either way, we're enjoying it. So let's, uh, let's talk about this session this morning, Grow and Give, How to Become a More Generous Christian. I mean, I have the privilege to talk to Christians all the time and all across the country. And I would say one of the most common things I hear from people is, Nate, I want to be able to be a more generous person. I want to spend my time, my energy, my skills, and even my resources. I want to help at my church. I want to help with missions. You know, I have a burden for, let's say, 
uh, crisis pregnancy centers or for uh, homeless, for those that are struggling with mental illness. I want to leave uh, some, some funds for my kids, for my grandkids. There is a desire to be generous. And it's a good desire, and it's a noble desire. Did you, um, did you happen to see in the news a few weeks ago, we talked about Elon Musk last night. Uh, a few weeks ago, he gave away almost $6 billion of his money. And you're like, yeah, but Nate, he's worth $229 billion, so did it really set him back all that much? Probably not, because that's just you know, 2 3% of his total net worth. And you, know, you would say, well, Nate, if I had what Elon Musk had, I could give away $6 billion too. And I'm, and I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would have that desire. But I think sometimes we can play that what-if game, and it allows us to excuse us doing nothing. So it's like, well, yeah, if I had Elon Musk's money, I would be a very generous person, and I would do this and this and this and this, but I don't, so therefore I do nothing, <laughs> okay? And so sometimes that we use that as an excuse, but sometimes, and I think this is more often the case, we're not as generous as we would like to be because we just don't have the capacity to be as generous as we would like to be. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, how to build margin in your financial life to help you to become a more generous person. So here's the first blank, and, and this is a, a good quote I want to share with you. And that's this, a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. So you say, I want to be more generous. Great, that's a very good desire. What are you going to do to make that a reality? Because it's not going to happen by accident. It's not just going to fall into place magically. There have to be actual steps taken. So I'm going to leave you four steps, four points here this morning, ways to grow and give to become a more generous Christian. Number one, build healthy habits. Build healthy habits. Just like anything in life, whatever goal you have, whether it's, you know, if you've ever run a race before, maybe a 5K, or if you're really adventurous, if you've ever run a marathon before, uh, you got to plan, you got to prepare. You don't just show up on race day and say, give me my number, here we go. Uh, whatever goal you're reaching for in life, it, it takes discipline, it takes healthy habits, and finances is no different. So what kind of habits are we talking about here? Well, first, and I believe I have this here on, on the slides here, and I, it's in your notes, According to a Federal Reserve report, nearly half of Americans don't have the ability to cover a $400 emergency without borrowing. I saw another recent one from Bankrate. They did a survey. About 56% of Americans said that they would not be able to cover a $1,000 emergency out of pocket. They'd have to borrow. They'd have to do some work extra hours, do something. So that's alarming. That means a lot of people don't have any margin in their finances for even a slight inconvenience for a trip to the emergency room, for an air conditioner going out, for you know, a major repair for their car, that's going to set them back. So what ha healthy habits do we have to put in place? First and foremost, we have to budget. Okay, So letter A in your notes there is budgeting. And I know what some of you are already thinking. You're already internally groaning because you said, I knew it, we were going to show up for the stewardship weekend and he was going to talk about budgeting. And I hate budgeting because I've tried to budget before and it just doesn't work for me. And it just, I couldn't really... Here's the thing, folks. When it comes to budgeting, oftentimes the reason we don't want to live by a budget is because deep down we fear 
it's constraint. We fear that it's going to make life no fun. I'm going to have this stupid budget, and I won't be able to ever spend any money because the budget's going to say, no, 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 you can't do that, can't spend that money, and I'm just going to sit at my house by my little campfire, and I'm going to be miserable because I can't spend money on anything. And the reality is that the exact opposite is true. When you live by a budget, it's actually freeing. People that don't have any plan or preparation around their money, they just live with this constant anxiety and stress because they're looking at, man, the, the paycheck's not until next Friday, and I've got to pay this utility bill, and the credit card payment is due uh, on Monday, and then, oh, the kids have to have this thing for school, and I don't really know where we're going to get the money from, and it's just this never-ending cycle of just trying to get to the next paycheck, trying to get to the next money so we can do it all over again next month. But when you live by a budget, it frees you to say, hey, when I go and take the family out to eat, when we take the vacation, when we spend the money, I don't feel bad about it, and I'm not worried about it because I know I've planned and prepared for this, and I have the capacity to do this thing. So budgeting is really key. You ever get to the end of the month and ask yourself, where did it all go? Did that ever happen to you? Because it's happened to me. Like, wait a second. I had more money than this. I don't even remember what I spent it on. And that's why budgeting is so, so crucial. We have to track our money. Let me give you a few um, suggestions as far as where to start with budgeting. A few sites that are really helpful. Everydollar.com, that's what I use. Uh, there's a free version. There's a paid version where you can link your accounts and have things transferred in, you know, like just link your card, your bank account, and it moves in your transactions automatically. I would actually encourage you to... to manually put in your transactions each month. And the reason for that is it's going to keep it top of mind. When you actually have to write out every place that you spent money and every place that you shopped, it's going to keep you more mindful of how much money is going out and help you to guard against that in the future. So everydollar.com is a great one. Mint.com is another one that's automatic. It's free, pulls in your transactions. Be careful about that, though, because the way they make, your mo make money is by using your information to sell you stuff. So it's free, but then they're going to try to sell you credit cards and bank accounts and et cetera. Um, youneedabudget.com. That's literally the name of it, youneedabudget.com. It's a great resource. I think it's you know, maybe $8, $9 a month, or you can pay for it for the year. Um, it, um, it's a lot more robust in its capabilities. So for some people that really want to be very detailed in their budget, maybe worth going with that. Lots of free spreadsheets that you can find online. In fact, I, if you're an Excel person and you want an Excel spreadsheet, just literally ask me. I will send you a free Excel budget spreadsheet that you can use. Here's the thing, folks. Find something that works for you and use it. I'm not so much you know, particular on, hey, you've got to use this program or this format. But here's what I would encourage you to do. And this is, um, we're going to try to use our, our, our whiteboard here a little bit. Um, I would encourage you to use something called uh, zero-based budgeting. And what that means is you start with how much money you're making for the month. So if that's $3,000, $5,000, $8,000, your take-home pay, okay, not your gross pay, let's say it's $5,000. So you put that at the top, and then you're going to start to allocate all of that money and assign it a place to go. And you want to assign it in this order. Start with your giving, okay? How much am I going to give this month? Subtract it from the total. Next, how much am I going to save? How much is going to go into savings account, kids' college fund, Roth IRA, whatever savings you have in place? 
then your needs, and what I mean by needs is the thing that you, things that you actually need to spend money on, okay? You need to pay your mortgage or your rent, you need to pay your utilities, you need to pay insurance, you need to pay for groceries. Amazon is not a need, okay? Uh, Chick-fil-A is not a need, okay? These are nice to have, but they're wants. You save your wants for last. So with whatever money's left over after allocating for these three categories, then you can put in for entertainment, for activities, for hobbies, for whatever you'd like to do. And if you'll do that in this order, there will be stuff left over at the end of the month. But if you do it in the opposite order, very often there will not be money left over to save or to give at the end of the month. And that's how I'd encourage you to budget your money each month. Okay, so we said enough about budgeting, we gotta move on. Secondly, not just budgeting, but debt. We have to pay down debt. Over 80% of Americans today have debt of some kind. The average mortgage in the United States is around $190,000. Uh, beyond that, the average consumer debt, so like credit cards, car loans, student loans, etc., it's about $38,000. So it's a lot of debt in America. I said last night the total debt, total consumer debt in the United States, everything together is over $15 trillion. Nothing squeezes your monthly finances like that. There's a reason why a lot of people don't have capacity because they're making a car payment. They're making the student loan payment. They're making the credit card payment. And when they add it all up, and if they could pay those, if you add up all those payments and you paid them off, a lot of times you'd add five, six, eight hundred thousand dollars a month just by eliminating those debt payments. Wouldn't it be nice to have an extra six hundred, eight hundred dollars a month? A lot you could do with that. So how do you pay them off? Okay. Well, there's really two ways to do this, and, and I'm not really so much picky on which one you choose, but let's say you have um, Let's say you have three debts, just, just for, for, for instance. Let's say there's a car loan. Let's say you owe 2000 And there's credit card. And you owe 8000 By the way, the car loan, let's say that's at 5% interest. Credit card is 20% interest. And let's say there's a student loan. And let's say that that's 20000 Okay? Just throwing out different numbers here, okay? So there's two ways to do this. There's a snowball method, and there's an avalanche method. Both are good. Here's the, here's the snowball method. Start with the lowest dollar amount. And here's what you do. You make minimum payments on the rest. Credit card, student loan, make minimum payment. Every single dollar that you can scrounge together from the rest of your budget, throw it at the car loan get it paid off first. Once the car loan's paid off, take whatever you're paying monthly on the car loan, roll it over to the credit card, get that paid off, move it to the student loan. Is everybody tracking with me? Everybody follow what I'm saying, okay? So you would do it in this order, one, two, three, smallest to largest. Avalanche is a little bit different. It'll actually help you pay your, money off, pay your debts off a little bit faster, pay a little less in interest. Um, you start with the highest per, uh, interest rate, so one, two, three. So you do it in a different order because you pay off the highest interest, allows you to pay less interest over time. Here's the thing, the snowball method, a lot of people like that more because you get a win under your belt early. So psychologically kind of helps you to feel like, oh, I did one, got one done. So either way, I'm not so much like, hey, you got to use one or the other, but have a plan. Put something in place, get your debt paid off. That's one of the best, easiest, fastest ways to build margin in 
your budget. Okay, so paying off debt, we've got, to, uh, we've got a budget, and then C, have emergency savings. We just said half of Americans can't cover a $400 emergency without borrowing, so you gotta have a buffer in place. So how much should you set aside? Well, it depends on really your income, because some people are like, well, you should have 5,000, you should have 10,000. Well, it depends. How much do you spend a month? So here's some good rules of thumb. If you have very steady income, consistent income, like a salary, three months of living expenses should be your minimum. Living expenses, not necessarily income, like how much you need to spend on a monthly basis. If you have a little bit more fluctuating income, like you're self-employed, you're in sales, you're in a seasonal type job where income's not always consistent, it should be six months of living expenses. And then if you're in retirement, you should have at least 12 months of living expenses. And the reason is because in retirement, you don't have often the, the opportunity or the option of just jumping right back into the workforce to make extra money if something goes wrong. And so a lot of times, though, that extra cash can be in your retirement account. It doesn't necessarily have to be 12 months of living expenses in a bank account, but just liquid money that's available for you if needed. Really, really important to have that buffer. The um, American Psych Psychological Association did a survey nine years in a row. They found that the number one source of stress in Americans' lives was money, which I don't think comes at much of a surprise to most of us. Uh, healthy habits help us to avoid that and to, um, and to build that margin. Okay, so build healthy habits. That's the foundation. Now let's move to number two. So once we build healthy habits and we're budgeting, we're getting our debt paid off, we have money set aside in, for emergencies, now we have to look at our monthly spending and see where can we trim. By the way, I'm speaking to people that are in very different stages of life and very different stages of your finance, so I understand that not everything that I'm going to say today is going to apply directly to you, but I think at least one thing that we're going to cover today is something that can be helpful to you, and so I, I hope you'll keep that in mind. But trim unnecessary spending. According to a recent poll by Ladder, consumers spend an average of $1,497 a month on non-essential items. Okay, so what's non-essential? Non-essential is Walmart, Target, Amazon, like just those general categories where you see it on the credit card statement, you see it on the bank statement, and you're like, oh yeah, $60 at Walmart. What was that for? And it was last week, and I'm, I have no clue, right? Just stuff, not needs, just wants, stuff, non-essentials. Okay, so how can we trim unnecessary spending? Let me give you five practical ways to trim unnecessary spending. Number one, refinance. Refinance. This would mainly apply to your mortgage, but you can refinance you know, car loan or even sometimes student loan or things like that. But refinance, there's really three ways to save with refinance. Either you can refinance to get a lower interest rate. So, for instance, you go from, you know, 5% down to 4%, right? Number two, you can lower the term. So you've got 20 years on your mortgage, and you refinance down to a 15-year. Okay, so you get it paid off five years faster, pay less interest, so we can save money that way. Or, you've got to be careful with this one, consolidate. 
and I'm 99% sure that's how you spell consolidate, okay, where you take your existing loans and bundle them up. So let's say you owed $200,000 on your mortgage, and you also had $20,000 in credit card debt. Well, the credit card debt's really high interest. So maybe what you do is you refinance for $220,000 on your mortgage. So at closing, one check goes to paying off your old mortgage, another check goes to you so you can pay off your credit cards, and now instead of having $20,000 in really high interest debt, now that $20,000 is being paid at a much lower interest rate. But here's where you have to be careful with this, because I've seen this before. People will say, hey, I'm going to refinance, and I'm going to save money, and you will. And they're like, look, I just saved myself $300 a month by consolidating my debt. And then they're like, hmm, I've had my eye on that truck for a while now, and the payment happens to be $300. Here we go. And they take on more debt, which was kind of what they were trying to avoid in the first place. So be careful about consolidating. If you're able to build margin, great. Use that margin. Don't, don't just fill that gap with more debt. And that's the way a lot of Americans live, by the way. They just live payment to payment. As soon as one thing's paid off, here we go. Let's go get another loan and another payment. Be careful about that. Letter B, shop your insurance. Okay, so I'm talking mainly home and auto insurance here. I would recommend every, at least every two years, probably every year, honestly, would, would be great, but at least every two years, shop your home and auto insurance. Doesn't really take you a lot of time. Shop multiple carriers see if there's better prices out there. Because a lot of times you'll get your insurance and you're like, great, I got a great deal. And it's been six years and all of a sudden you didn't even realize it, but you're paying a whole lot more money than you had to. Shop multiple carriers. Make sure you're comparing apples to apples though. Sometimes you stay with a carrier, they're gonna give you a loyalty discount and that's great, but still check around. Um, you can use like an insurance broker that will shop multiple different, um, multiple different carriers. There's different websites you can go to. You can go to, you know, other carriers locally that you know. But just shop multiple carriers. Make sure you, you compare apples to apples. So sometimes the reason that some other insurance companies like, look, we can save you $50 a month. Yeah, they can because they're not giving you as good a coverage. So just make sure you're aware of that. Number th uh, Letter C, groceries and restaurants. This is my least favorite to talk about because this one hits really close to home. Groceries and restaurants. This is one of the easiest areas to overspend. Now, okay, we have to have food, we have to get groceries, but not necessarily everything that we get at the grocery store did we have to get. You know what I'm saying, okay? Um, this is, this is going to sound really simple, really dumb, but it's, it's worth saying. Don't go grocery shopping while you're hungry. Don't do it. You will spend more money. Have a grocery list. Order it ahead of time. Do the, the pickup option. Plan out what you're going to buy instead of just roaming the aisles and being like, oh, that sounds good, let's get that too, because uh, you'll spend more. Budget how much you're going to spend on restaurants. Nothing wrong with, you know, pulling through the drive-thru every now and then, taking the family out to eat. But if you don't budget for it, that will very quickly get, get away from you. People almost always underestimate how much they spend. They'll say, how much do you spend on restaurants? Ah, $300 a month. And then we start looking through the records. Oh, I spent $600 on restaurants. That's, I don't even remember going out to eat all that often. It just, it happens. Okay. Uh, letter D. Entertainment and subscriptions. Have you noticed we have like a million different subscription op options now, all right? And especially when it comes to entertainment, there's the Netflix and Disney Plus and uh, Amazon Prime and Peacock and just like this, all, the, all these different streaming options. And you got them all, 
And you do the same thing. You get on there and you just scroll for an hour and you still can't find something to watch. So look through your subscriptions. Look through the things that you're paying for on a monthly basis that you're not using. That can be a quick way to save 50, 100 bucks a, a month right there. And then letter E, postpone purchases. Postpone purchases. Here's the thing. Sometimes you need new shoes. Sometimes you need a new phone. You need a new computer. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, sometimes you just want new stuff, okay? I've got the, uh, I think this is the 12, okay? Do I really need the thir iPhone 13? I mean, if you're going to give me one, great, I'll take it, but do I need it? Eh, probably not, right? And so sometimes just saying, all right, something that I could get, but I don't really need to get right now, I'm going to put it off another six months, put it off another year, that right there is a way to trim your spending. Okay, so number three now, number three, automate your savings. Remember, what we're talking about is how to build margin, how to go from your income being here and your expenditures being here to this. How do you create that gap to have some room at the end of each month? So you have to build healthy habits, you budget, you pay down your debt, have emergency savings, you trim your spending, you look through what you're spending on. Now, most things, they need to stay in place. Most things you don't need to change, but sometimes you'll find areas where it's, oh yeah, you know what? I've been spending 50 bucks a month on that and we could probably just do without it and we won't even miss it, right? And then number three, automate your savings. Automate your savings. This is so key. It's such a simple move, but it makes such a difference um, over time. The thing is, a lot of us, the way we like to operate is we'll look at our account from time to time and say, oh, do I have some extra money? Maybe tax refund season's coming in, got a refund. Okay, maybe now I'll go save. And there's nothing wrong necessarily with making one-time savings choices like that. But if that's the only way you save, that's going to be very inconsistent and it's probably not going to work long-term. So there's so many great tools now that allow us to, to save automatically. Probably the, the simplest is if you have an employer that offers an employer retirement account, like a 401k, and you just take that out of your paycheck each month, great. You're not even going to see it. You're not even going to miss it. You won't even know that it was there in the first place. That's great. But even short-term. So actually, let's talk about this. Letter A and letter B, there's short-term and there's long-term savings. Okay. Short-term would be less than five years. So... Things like um, car, vacation, going to do some home repairs. Things that in the next five years you can reasonably expect that you're going to do short term. Where should you save your short term money? Should it be in the market? No, I would recommend that you not put that in the market. In fact, I would say put it in something like a CD, um, a high yield Savings account, which, by the way, is kind of an oxymoron today because high-yield savings accounts pay you like half a percent, uh, but it's better than the 0.01% that you're probably getting at a regular savings account, uh, maybe a money market account, something that is conservative, liquid, accessible. It's not going to give you a lot of growth, but it's going to be there when you need it, short-term savings. Then long-term savings is going to be things that are more than five years, okay? So retirement could be a long-term savings. Uh, co kids' college fund, 
Maybe you're saving up for a house, and that's way down the future, but longer than five years. Okay? Um, these are things that you're going to want to use a 401k or an IRA or an investment account for. Okay? Two different categories, and you've got to decide, okay, what goals do I have and what category do they fit in? So we want to have both. Make sure, I would recommend for the short-term savings, you set up a separate account for that. So you have your regular checking. Maybe you have an emergency fund in a separate spot. I would recommend if you have short-term savings, like for a car or something like that, put it somewhere else. And the reason for that is it's going to help you in your mind delineate that that's what it's for. Because if you keep it in your checking, then you're going to be a lot more tempted to say, ooh, I got $10,000 in my checking. And you're going to be tempted to want to spend that on something uh, something that, that you weren't planning um, to save for. Um, here's a great quote from uh, Warren Buffett. He says, do not save what is left after spending. Instead, spend what is left after saving. Here's why it's so important to automate your savings. Because you take the guesswork out of it. Just the first of the month, the 15th of the month, whatever date you want to set it up, $100 goes into the savings account. Boom. $200 goes into my Roth IRA, boom. $300 goes into the kid's college fund. And I don't even think about it. I don't have to make that decision. And I just learn to live with what's left over. And if you'll do that, you'll find that almost always you can make it work. But when you don't do that, you find a way to spend that extra money. So automate your savings. And now finally, number four, find ways to increase your generosity. Find ways to increase your generosity. See, here's the thing, folks. You can be the most disciplined financial person out there. You can have all the healthy habits. You can uh, trim your spending. You can be really frugal. You can save really well and have lots of money in these accounts. But if it's all for you, and if it's all for just being selfish and kind of kicking back and saying, I got a great life, then it's a waste. As a Christian... God gives us these blessings of our time and our skills and our resources so that we can bless others. And there's, obviously we need to take steps to take care of our necessities, take care of our family and do those types of things. But ultimately the reason we want to build margin is so that we can use what we have to help and to serve those around us. So let's think about some ways that we can increase our generosity. Letter A, let's make our giving non-negotiable. Similar to our savings. Just like you automate your savings, I would encourage you to automate your giving. Now, I understand not everybody is in a position where that makes sense maybe for your cash flow. If you've got a salary job and your paycheck's the same and you can just set up your online giving and be like, here's my tithe, here's my missions, here's boom. And I just send it to the church electronically every month, then great. I would encourage you to do that. But maybe you're in a position where it's like, well, my income's not, you know, it's, it fluctuates, it's up and down at different times. Okay, but to the best of your ability, make giving non-negotiable. Make giving the first line item of your budget. Letter B, lifestyle giving. Lifestyle giving. Sometimes we, as Americans, we like to think of giving as just a transaction. Have you noticed that? Like, you know, we like to think that we're generous because we dropped some money in the Salvation Army bucket, right? So I'm a good person. And we, we tend to, to kind of compartmentalize generosity as I tithe, 
I give financially, every now and then I'll, I'll write that check and I'll, I'll drop a 20 in the plate and I'll do those things so I'm generous. And that's good, and I'm not, certainly not trying to say that that's not something you shouldn't do, but generosity is a way that we live. When you think about how Jesus lived his life, he gave of himself. He gave of his time. He gave of his attention. And that's what we want to be. And sometimes we're, you know, we, we, and maybe you're sitting in the room this morning, you're like, well, Nate, listen, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I would love to be generous, but it's just in my situation, my circumstances, I'm just never going to have a lot of money. I'll, I'll give a little bit, but I feel like I don't make a lot of difference. Well, number one, it's not about how much you give. God's not concerned so much with the amount as he has the faithfulness and the heart behind it. But also, you don't have to have lots of money to be a generous person. Some of those generous people that I've ever met were people that lived on a single Social Security check. They just they lived a life of generosity and they gave of themselves. So how can we do that? How can we have a lifestyle of giving? Well, think about what other things that you have. You have time, right? How can you use your time to give to others? You have, you know, clothes and furniture, and I'm assuming you have a place to live. You can use that to be generous, right? You can invite people to your home and host them and show hospitality. I'm assuming you have a vehicle that you drove in to get here. You can use that to be generous and to go and visit somebody or to, to help run errands for somebody who's shut in or, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many different ways to say, Lord, what have you given me? What do I have at my disposal? And how can I use that to serve others? All right. And then thirdly, letter C, a legacy of giving. A legacy. Think about how can you make the biggest impact after you've left this earth? You know, all of us, one day, it's going to be our time to go. And what legacy will be left? Because so we're not going to be able to take our money. All of our assets, all, all, everything of value will go to somebody else. So what are we going to leave behind? What is there going to be to be said about us? What impact will we have on this world beyond just our lifetime? Wouldn't it be great if we could continue to have an impact in our community beyond our life. I think that would be a wonderful thing. And here's the thing, you know, the secular world gets it. Did you know that Harvard has a, an endowment fund of over $40 billion? Harvard. And every year, alumni from Harvard give millions, if not billions, more dollars to Harvard, even though Harvard has as much money as basically they'll ever need. Why? Because they believe in the cause of what Harvard is doing. They believe in the cause of higher education, and they want that institution to continue for generations to come. I was really surprised. I saw recently the Mormon church has this fund. Now, obviously, the Mormon church had all of the Mormon churches kind of funnel part of their giving to the one main one there in Salt Lake City, but their, their fund is over $100 billion dollars insane. And sometimes here we sit in our churches and we're like, kind of wring our hands like, well, you know, maybe if, if, if you want, if, if, if you think it would be a good idea and you want to maybe give some money to the church, that'd be good. But no pressure. You know. Do we believe in the cause of what we're doing in our community? Do we believe that our church is a lighthouse to share the gospel here and around the world? 
what other organization, what other membership do we have that's more important to us? And what I would encourage you to say, first and foremost, when you think about your legacy, you want to think about your family, your kids, your grandkids, and, and leaving a legacy for them. But second only to that, I would say, think about your church. Think about the legacy that you would leave beyond your lifetime one day. Let me give you just a couple um, practical ways that people can do this. One is called a donor-advised fund, and I'll try to illustrate this here quickly. This is really helpful in, in two different circumstances, and, and I've seen this play out for, for people that want to be generous for their church and really for any charitable organization for that matter. You know, they, they have, you know, maybe a stock or uh, an investment, a mutual fund that they've held for a long time, and it's gone up in value. So if they sell it and take the money, there's going to be taxes. Uncle Sam's going to come and take a chunk of that. So what they do instead is they can set up a donor-advised fund and an account to where if they donate the stock or the investment into the donor-advised fund, that counts as a charitable contribution. So they, they're able to claim that on their taxes as a charitable contribution. Then, once it's inside the donor-advised fund, then the investment gets sold. And since it's already been given away, then there's no taxes on the sale. So instead of, you know, 80% or 85% of the value going to whatever cause they want, 100% of the value goes. The other way that this is really helpful is when people are wanting to do similar to kind of the endowment fund idea of like, how do I turn a sizable gift into a long-term gift to where I give money and then that money is invested and every year several thousand dollars comes out of that fund, but it's kind of a gift that just lives on in perpetuity. And so, you know, a $100,000 gift over time, if invested and then each year a few thousand dollars is given, over 20, 30 years, a $100,000 gift can turn into a $300,000 gift and do even that much more. And so uh, it's a great way and it's a, it's a way that many uh, Christians have used to, to be very generous in that regard. Another way is called a qualified charitable distribution. So if you have a 401k, an IRA, money that when you contributed it into the retirement account, you got a tax deduction. So the IRS said, hey, you don't have to pay taxes on it now. Pay taxes on it later when you take it out. Well, our government may not be great at everything, but they're good at getting their tax money. So the rule is when you turn 72, now the IRS is going to come knocking and say, hey, remember that tax money you never paid us? Now it's time to start taking money out of your account so you can start paying taxes on it. It's called a required minimum distribution, a certain amount you have to take out each year. So here's a great way to sort of kill two birds with one stone. As a Christian, if you're already giving to your church and to other areas, what you can do is instead of getting that minimum distribution, if you don't need it, Okay, if you need it, obviously, then great, you withdraw from your account. But a lot of times people are like, actually, I don't need it. I'm not going to use it for anything right now. What they can do is do a qualified charitable distribution, take that money that they were required to take out, send it directly to their church, and pay no taxes on it. And 100% of that amount goes to their church instead of them getting it and then getting taxed on it. And then lastly, I would just want to mention estate planning. Uh, think about everybody should have a will in place. You know, if you don't have a will in place, then 
when you die, your stuff goes to whoever the state decides it goes to, and that may or may not coincide with your wishes. So I would encourage everybody to have a will. But then beyond that, sometimes people, uh, they need to set up a trust, and you know, that's, that's something that you, know, you, you need to talk to an estate attorney about. But when you think about, okay, where is my stuff going to go? Where are my resources and assets going to go? Like I said, yes, consider your family, but also consider the church, consider missions work, consider these things as well. And here's the thing. I will leave you with this quote here. It's from Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And we're going we're to come back to this verse here in, in, the, in the service. Has there ever really been a time in your life where you've been generous and you're like, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. I don't, I don't think so. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe you're thinking of an instance in your mind. It doesn't usually happen, right? Because the satisfaction, the joy that comes from being used as an instrument of generosity in somebody else's life, that's a wonderful thing. And Jesus, that's why he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So let's do this as we kind of wrap up our, our session this morning. I want you to turn there in your booklet, the very end, I believe we have a list of action items. Do you see that there in your handout, action items? Okay. I've written down, I think there's maybe about 15, 16 different ones. These are all from things that we talked about today. Here's what I would really encourage you to do. You know, in James, he's, in the book of James, he says, I want you to be doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, I want you to put feet to what you've heard. So sometimes we come to a stewardship weekend and we hear things that we've heard before, and we're like, Nate, that was good. Yeah, thank you for that reminder. Yeah, really appreciate you being here. And then we go out, and Monday, nothing's changed. And I don't want that to be the case for North Life. I don't want that to, be, to us just sit here and be like, yep, that's good, and we go out and are no different for it. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. We've got about 15 things there. I want you to take a look through that list. You don't have to do it right now, but at some point this week, take a look through that list, and I want you to mark... One or two or three that you're going to do. Don't mark all of them because you're not going to do all of them. All right. Don't try to bite off more than you can chew. But I promise you this. If you will identify one or two or three steps that you can take in your personal finances to grow and to give, then this, what we're doing, will have been worth it. This will have been beneficial for us. We will take that next step in being a good steward of the wonderful blessings that God has entrusted us with.